0: There are 66 chapters of the Bible that are dedicated to the life of David. More scripture about David than any other human being other than the God-man, Jesus. And we know him most of all from those famous stories of when David came against Goliath. We studied that last week. Jerry did a great job of opening up some really great insights for us during that story. And then for the lowest time of his life when he committed adultery and he sinned, against Bathsheba. But what many of us are not familiar with is the portion of his life that most of the scripture in the Bible talks about, and that is that time of his life when David was a fugitive. You see, David was a shepherd boy at one time, and during that time when he was out and unknown, he found out that his God was the God of obscurity, that God would take those common everyday things that were going on in his life, and God would use those things to prepare him to be king one day. And he knew as he stood to fight the Philistine named uh, Goliath that God was the God of the grand battle. He found that out, that God was faithful. He gave him the tools to fight with and he gave him the courage to stand in the valley, in the gap. But what he's going to find out in this period of his life, that God is also the God of the wilderness years. See, David goes and he becomes a part of Saul's court and God is training him how to be king by watching what Saul does and learning from that what to do and what not to do. He begins to play the harp in Saul's court and then he becomes an armor barrier and then he becomes a mighty warrior. And as a mighty warrior, he begins to receive praise from the people. The problem comes when he's getting more praise than King Saul is getting. And Saul becomes jealous and Saul goes after him. And so he flees into the wilderness, and he spends 10 years of his life in the wilderness. About this time, David is about 20 years old, so he'll spend from age 20 to 30 in this beautiful location. This is a photo that we took recently while we were there. This is near En Gedi, where uh, he and Saul had a confrontation that we're going to look at a little bit later on. You'll notice that there's a little lack of shade there. And there's also a scarcity of water and there's a scarcity of food. This is not a place that David chose to live in. And yet David finds himself there. And David is there not only in a geographical and a physical sense, but David is also in the wilderness very very much so in an emotional and a spiritual sense. Some of you know what it's like to live in the wilderness some of you are in the wilderness right now. It's not a place that you have chosen. And like David, you know that you won't be there forever, but you sure are not enjoying it while you're there. You know that your God is faithful and one day he will lead you out of the wilderness, but you don't know when. And it's tough to live in the wilderness. It was in the wilderness that David wrote the scripture that we're going to look at today that's found in Psalm 37. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me or you can read along on the back of your worship guide. And here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. I want to encourage you to take this Psalm and if you don't already have a a preset devotional or if there's a way that you can take a, a break in the scripture that you're reading that you just focus in on this scripture this week, my encouragement is for you to read it every single day of this week. Because this is a rich passage. Let it sink down into your soul, especially if you find yourself in the wilderness right now. Look at what it says. And remember that David was in the wilderness being pursued by King Saul when he wrote these words thousands of years ago. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath, do not fret, it only leads to evildoing. For evildoers will be cut off, and, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet in a little while, and the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. David is a fugitive, in the wilderness. Now some of you are old enough to remember the TV series called The Fugitive that came out in 1963 where David Jansen, the actor played Dr. Richard Kimball the doctor who was wrongly accused of murdering his wife and in the process of going to prison he escapes and so he begins to travel around the United States trying to find the real killer of his wife as he does so he enters into a a new town town every single week as we watch in and in the process of being there, his true character comes out. He can't help it. He's a kind man. He's a generous man. And each situation begins to pull that out. And when he begins to use his physician uh, abilities to help someone out, it's revealed that he's not really the janitor at that school or he's not really uh, the, the person who's uh, pumping gas and, 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 and he has to run to another town. What we find is we, we watch here of David as we find out that the wilderness reveals the true person, the person that caused God to call him a man after his own heart. Some of you are too uh, young to remember the 1963 series called The Fugitive, but you remember the 1993 movie by the same name based on that TV series where Harrison Ford starred as Dr. Richard Kimball. Now, some of you are too young to remember the 1993 movie. (laughs) Perhaps, so you'll recognize that Harrison Ford looks like uh, Indiana Jones Maybe that's we can get back there from there. The fugitive. And we find uh, David as the fugitive in the wilderness. Now, he did not choose to go to the wilderness. He had no choice about that. That was somebody else's choice. But David has the freedom to choose how he will respond to the wilderness. And how he will respond... In those episodes, back in 1963, that that particular series was on for four years. There were 120 episodes of The Fugitives. And we we looked in every week to see the new episode. Well, in the scripture, there are actually 15 different episodes of David's encounters in the wilderness. And so for the next four and a half hours, we're going to look at all... (laughs) We're going to look at three of those episodes today... But those three episodes are going to represent those different circumstances and those different people that David encounters in the wilderness. One of my favorite scripture comes, scriptures comes from 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, verse 14. And it's a verse I read or quote a lot while we are encouraging those who are going into vocational ministry. And the reason we do is this, is that we try to tell people that God may have gifted you as an evangelist. Or God may have gifted you as an administrator, but the fact that God has gifted you in a certain way doesn't mean you respond and you're the same person in every circumstance. That you need to ask what kind of circumstance, what kind of season are you in, and you need to pay attention to the people that you're ministering to. In 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, verse 14, it says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient, with everyone. And that scripture is lining out for us in the New Testament the principle that we need to pay attention to who our audience is. And just because you're a hammer doesn't mean everybody's a nail, all right? That you need to be sensitive to respond in the way that best honors God whatever circumstance you find yourself in. In these three episodes that we're going to look at today in the life of David, we find three different kinds of people that he's to relate to there in the wilderness. In the first episode we find in 1 Samuel, the 22nd chapter, where we find him responding to the weak. And, and David finds himself in a place called Ziklag. And there's a scripture that describes what he found when he came to Ziklag. It's found in 1 Samuel 22, 2. It says this, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now, there were about 400 men, 400 men who were discontented, 400 men who were in debt, 400 men who were in distress. I actually pastored that church at one time. (laughs) I won't name names to protect the guilty. But can you imagine? David thought he was leaving his worst problem and that he was running away from Saul. He went to the wilderness and he said, surely I'll find Refuge here. When he got there, he found people who were distressed and debt and discontented, and he had to be their leader. Now, that's similar to what a lot of us discover when we go to the church, isn't it? We leave the evil people in the world to come to God's church, and we find there we find a bunch of folks who are in debt and who are discontented and who are in distress. And sometimes it disillusions us a little bit, doesn't it? It's like going to the fitness center and you look around at all the fat people and you say, "This place doesn't work." that's why we're there. (laughs) You see, the church is not a place for perfect people. If you came here to this church looking for perfect people, you're going to be disappointed because we're just sinners, all of us. And And that's what distresses us many times. We come to church and we realize everybody's a sinner, just like us. This is a hospital for sinners. And we're in process. And so David goes and he, and he finds himself in the wilderness and he's running from Saul, but he gets into this hornet nest of being a leader of a bunch of folks who are in process. And then, really, tragedy comes along. The Malachites come, and while David and his men are out doing a, a mission, they come in and they destroy his camp. They take all of their wives and all of their children and they. Uh, to steal all of their possessions the little bit that they had. And when David and his men come back to camp at Ziklag, they find a smoking rubble. Now, whenever tragedy comes, many of us wonder to ourselves, uh, you know, what else could happen? Or, or perhaps we'll even say, well, it can't get any worse than this. And here's the reality. No matter what tragedy you're in right now, it can get worse. That's the good news. Aren't you glad you came to church today? It really can. It can get worse because here's what, how it can get worse. If something befalls you that's a tragedy and you don't immediately turn and place that into the hands of God, if you don't respond in the way that best honors him, it can go from bad to worse. It really can. And the initial response of those that David was leading was the wrong response. They, they decided that what they needed to do is find someone to blame. Their fear turned into anger and they had to a a displaced anger and and they poured it out onto David and they wanted to kill him. And so the scripture tells us there in 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, verse six, it says, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and because of his daughters. They'd lost their families. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God, There was one who was a part of that group by the name of Abathor. And Abathor was David's pastor. And so David went to his pastor and his pastor suggested that they pray together and seek guidance from God. And that's exactly what they did. And the scripture tells us that he strengthened himself in the Lord. Their answer, his men's answer was to find a scapegoat, to find someone to blame, to pour out and make something that was bad even worse. But God's plan was one of restoration and recovery. And so he rallied those men to go into the wilderness and to recapture their families. And so they took off and they got to a place that was called the Brook of Besor. Now David uh, originally looked, uh, there were about 400 men had gathered to him. At this time, their, their group had grown to about 600 and the new 200 men were not in the, as good of a shape. They'd not been under David's training. And when they came to the Brook of Besor, they were exhausted. And they said, we've got to stay here over the night and we've got to rest. But David knew that if they stood, they stayed there and rested for those who were weak, that they would lose their families forever. And so he suggested wisely that the 200 who couldn't go any further would just stay there. And he would take the 400 and they would go after the Amalekites. And they did and they defeated the Amalekites and all of their families were safe. And they brought back the wives and the children. And they brought back the meager possessions that the Amalekites had taken from them. But more than that, because the Amalekites had gone and conquered other people, there were great spoils there. And they brought all of those spoils back to the brook of Besor. And when they got there, the men who had traveled with him, they said, we're going to give back to the 200 who didn't fight with us, their wives and their children. We don't want their families. But they get none of their possessions back. And they certainly don't get the spoils of war that we have so bravely fought for. And David put his foot down as a leader and he said, this is not right. We will not only return to them their wives and their children, but we will return back to them their possessions, and they will get a rightful share of all of the spoils. And we see here David in the time of his own wilderness caring about those who had less than he had. Let me tell you this. Today you may be in a wilderness, but I guarantee you there's someone in your sphere of influence, there's someone that you will encounter this week who's got things worse than you do. Or at the very least, they have a need that God has given you a resource that if you were to apply it to their life, would provide to them some kind of relief. It might just be a word of encouragement. It might be pointing them to the Lord that you know that is a refuge for you. There's a tendency when we get in the wilderness to become selfish, to become self-centered, to to throw a pity party for ourselves and not invite anyone else to it. And yet, David here is showing us how to respond to the weak. We respond to the weak with generosity. The New Testament says that we are to help the weak. Jesus was the best example of this when he died on the cross. And even during his time of great wilderness, his land of the great not yet, before the empty tomb, that he looked down from the cross and he saw those who were gambling for his clothing and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He gave them what they needed the most in his time of greatest need. Or to look down and to see his mother and to say to the apostle, John, would you please take care of my mom? And he was thinking about her even while he was hanging on the cross. And in our wilderness, that's one of the things that I believe that God wants us to do. He wants us to open our eyes, to look along the horizon and find those who are weak and to be generous to them in whatever way that we can. The second group that he related to in the wilderness that I want us to look at today is in 1 Samuel, the 25th chapter, when we see how David related to the fool. It's a story of Nabal and Abigail. Uh, Nabal and Abigail were part of a, a Bedouin group in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness obviously was a, a, a time, uh, was a place of great danger. It was a high crime district, it was full of bandits. One of the most famous stories that Jesus told was a, a story about this very wilderness where there was one who went from Jerusalem down to Jericho and fell among thieves. And that was a story that everyone could relate to because that was a common occurrence in the wilderness. You were vulnerable in the wilderness. There was no authority there to keep order of things. And in that wilderness, while David was there, he and his merry man became a kind of Robin Hood for the weak and the innocent there in that wilderness. And so they became protectors of a lot of these Bedouin shepherds and as a result, many of them prospered. That was a custom in that day that whenever uh, a certain time of the year came that you would bring all your flocks in, you'd bring all your sheep in and they would have a sheep shearing. And in the process of doing that, everybody was gathered together and so it was a great time of celebration as they celebrated their prosperity. And there was a a custom in that day that when you brought those sheep together and when you saw all that had been provided for you, that you had a feast and you invited anyone who had helped you or had provided protection for you to come and participate in the feast and to give them a little bit of your prosperity. There was no law that said that, but it was just a common knowledge. It was a courtesy that everyone was aware of in that culture. It's like in a restaurant today. You go in a restaurant, there's not a big sign that says you must, if somebody renders to you good service, give a tip. You must leave money on the table. But we all know that the people who work in those food establishments, that that's the majority of the way that they make their living. It's considered rude and arrogant if you were to go in there and receive exceptional service that you would leave the table and not leave something on the table for those who had served you. And so at this particular time of the year, uh, Nabal and Abigail called together all of their family and all that was a part of their clan, and they began to shear the sheep. And so David, who had been a protector of this group as well as others, he sent 10 of his men down to receive whatever Abigail and Nabal wanted to provide. Now, notice what he didn't do. He didn't send a group of men A large group of soldiers and demand anything. In fact, they made no specific request. They just said, whatever you want to do. But uh, when they came down to receive whatever gift they might have to to bring back to David and his men, Nabal said, how dare you expect anything from us? Now, the Bible tells us that Nabal was heavy. It's not talking about how much he weighed. It was the Bible's way of saying he was very rich. And so he had ability to be very generous to those that had provided protection. And yet he was arrogant and rich. He was rich and rude. And he sent away David's men. Well, when that message came back to David, David got a disease that some of us have had. It's called road rage. All right? You know, I don't know if that's ever happened to you or not, that you're driving along, minding your own business, and most of the time you're a fairly mild-mannered person, not really emotional or violent or anything else, and then all of a sudden somebody cuts you off or somebody does something, and then on top of that they wave at you and they're too lazy to use all of their fingers, And I don't know if you've been there or not, where all of a sudden it just, this emotion comes up and you just, I mean, you are angry and you don't, you didn't mean to be angry. You didn't really think you chose to be angry, but it just, it just got all over you. And sometimes we'll do really stupid things in that kind of circumstance. Well, that's what happened to David. And David decided he's going to ride down the hill and he's going to wipe out all of them. And so David's coming down to kill these Bedouins. These Bedouins are not armed. Defenseless, and Abigail, here's what's about to happen. Now let me just stop and just say that I I, I really believe when you read the scripture, you get a sense that uh, there's some displaced anger going on here. Here is David who's declared to be the next king and there he is and everything's going great and, and, and all of a sudden Saul now is chasing him and he's fearing for his life and he's out here with all these distressed discontents who are in debt. And, he, and he's living out in the wilderness where the where the food is pretty bland, and he's got to had some high expectations that maybe they'd get some pastry and maybe they'd have a little wine, and he's got his mind all set on that. And then all of a sudden, this disappointment comes, and you wonder if some of this anger that he's about to pour out on Nabal is really something that's more about Saul than it is about Nabal. But he's on his way to down to do something he's going to regret someday. And Abigail, the wife of Nabal, hears about it and she goes out and she intercepts him and his band, which is obviously a very brave thing to do. And what she does is she goes and she brings gifts to him. She brings, according to the scripture, 200 loaves of bread, two bottles of wine, five sheep, eight measures or five measures of corn, 100 clusters of raisin and 200 fig cakes. This lady could have been a caterer, all right? And she says, please accept these gifts. Let me apologize. And she takes all of the blame for what happened. She didn't have to do that. She says, if if you're gonna be mad at somebody, be mad at me. Don't hurt these innocent people, be mad at me because it's my fault. I should have known how dumb my husband would have been and kept your men from talking to him. It's my fault. And then she pleads to him to, to think about the consequences. She says, you know, this is a a, a fool. My husband was a fool, but we only need one fool. We don't need two fools. And and one of these days, you're going to be King David. And and you don't want this on your conscience. You don't want people telling the story about how you killed the unarmed shepherds. You know what it's like to be a shepherd. You know how hard this life is. Uh, You don't have to do this. God's called you to be a mighty warrior, but he didn't ask you to fight battles of personal grudge. He asks you to fight his battles to, to protect his name, not your own. And then she uses the language of love. Do you know what the language of love is? Some of you have read John Trent where in that book about communication, the language, languages of love, he talks about understanding someone and understanding what motivates someone and understanding what moves them emotionally and then taking some language from their life and sharing your message in the language that they can relate to. And that's what she does long before John Trent ever wrote wrote that book. She says, you know, David, that God is going to take all of your enemies and he's going to place them like a stone in a sling. And he's going to cast those enemies far away from you. And David got it. David turned back around and he did not kill Nabal. But when Abigail got back that night, uh, Nabal was so drunk she didn't have a chance to share with him the story. He had fallen asleep in a drunken stupor. But the next morning she told him what had happened and how near he had come to disaster. And he was so upset that he had a stroke. And 10 days later he died of that stroke. And then David married Abigail. <laughs> Must have been a good fig cake. <laughs> See, Abigail was a peacemaker. Don't we need more peacemakers in our world today? And I thought about the place where this story takes place, and I thought about what's going on there today. We need some Abigails, don't we? He'll step in and speak the language of love. He'll help people think about the long-term consequences of violence and of force. Uh, We need some peacekeepers like Abigail in our nation today, don't we? Someone who has a cooler head. Sometimes we need it in our own families, don't we? The scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Here in this particular passage in Psalm 38 the 37 verse 8 notice what it says it says cease from anger and forsake wrath that's a choice do not fret or do not worry it only leads to evil doing she challenged david that day to be his best she challenged david to forgive the fool the third kind of person that david encountered that i want us to look at today is found in first samuel the 24th chapter uh, it's the evil one when he confronted the evil one. Saul is after David. He wants to kill him. And so Saul takes 3,000 uh, soldiers to pursue David. David only has 600 men. And so their, their primary uh, strategy is that of evasion. And they find themselves hiding in a cave near En Gedi. In the desert, the giant wilderness is hot and so Saul decides to take a break and uh, go into one of the caves where he can find shade. And so he leaves his men and he goes into the cave. And it just so happens that he chooses the very cave that David and 600, 600 of his men are hiding in. Well, about that time, nature calls. I didn't write it. It's right there in the scripture. He has to go to the bathroom. And so he takes off his sword, Saul does, and he takes off of his uh, robe And David literally is catching him with his pants down. And his men are saying, this is your opportunity in this insanity to take your sword and to kill him right now while he's vulnerable. And David chooses not to do that. David chooses instead to quietly sneak up and take his sword and cut off the edge of Saul's cape. And so when Saul finishes his business and he goes back into the valley, David comes out of the cave and he holds up the corner of Saul's cape and he said, look, this is is how close I was to you. This is what I could have done. And we read in that passage that he says these words. He says, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. See, one of the reasons that Saul was chasing after David is because he had listened to the naysayers. He listened to the opposite of peacemakers who said, David is out to get you. You need to get David before he gets you. And if David had killed Saul in the cave that day, everything they said would have been a a fulfilled prophecy. And there is a sense in which David vindicated himself and he dispelled the lies of those troublemakers when he didn't take the opportunity to kill Saul that day. What David was willing to do was David was willing to wait on the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay Uh, Many times, we're tempted, especially in our wilderness time, especially when fear can get the best of us, to take things into our own hands and to mete out justice, to play a role that only God is meant to play. And we raise our hand, unlike David, we raise our hand against God's anointed. Who might God's anointed be in your life? Who is it that has authority over you that you don't respect, who's misusing that authority, who tempts you to lower yourself to their level. In the army, when you have a commander that you don't respect, it's a common thing to say, I don't salute the man, I salute the rank. And that's really what David was saying. I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. Right now, God has said that Saul is king until God says that he's not king. I'm not going to make things work out my way. Maybe it's an unfair boss that you're working for right now. Perhaps it's even the law of the land today. And we can find excuses to break that law because of what our government is doing or not doing. We we can choose to cheat our employer because of the way that he's acting. And when we do, we're raising our hand against the Lord's anointed. Perhaps the Lord's anointed are your parents. The Bible says that you're to obey your parents. More than that, it says you're to also honor them even when they're not honorable. And unless they are asking you to do something that goes directly against something that God has specifically said for you to do or not to do, you're to live under that and God will use that in your life. He will redeem that in your life as you obey and follow him someday, even when you don't understand or you don't agree with what God may be saying in your life. Perhaps the anointed one in your life is your spouse. And you have independent responsibilities to be involved in mutual submission to them. And if you use their misbehavior as an excuse for your misbehavior, then what you're doing is what the Bible says not to do, and that's to render evil for evil. It says instead to render good for evil. In Psalm 37, our text, look there if you will in verse 7. It says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Verse 10 says, Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. I will not lift up a hand against the Lord's anointed. To the weak, he chose to be generous. To the fool, he chose to forgive. To the evil one, he chose to wait on the Lord to bring about justice. David did not choose to be in the wilderness. He had no choice about that, even as we have no choice. But he did have a choice about how to respond to the wilderness. He did have a choice about how to respond to those that he encountered in the wilderness. How will you respond? I think it's very, very interesting that here in the scripture it talks about in verse three it says trust in the Lord and do good. There are a lot of opportunities in the wilderness to make the wrong choices and dishonor the name of God. But in the same way there are a lot of opportunities to trust in the Lord and to do good. It says dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. It's hard to grow anything in the wilderness. It really is. And you saw the photograph earlier. You didn't see a whole lot of green there. It's hard to cultivate fruit that we would consume for our own pleasure and our own strength. But the Bible says that in that wilderness we can cultivate something else. Faithfulness. Our faith in him. Our faithfulness to him to be his people and to represent his name. Let's thank him for that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your scripture. I thank you that it's real. And it's, it's like when we read it, it's like uh, you've been reading our minds or you've been in our very homes. It's so pertinent to what's going on today. And I pray, dear Father, that we would live in a counterintuitive way, a way that is led not only by your word but also by your spirit. I pray that there would be a calmness in our life, that would keep us from the road rage of reactionary living, that we would trust in you to meet all of our needs and out of that abundance we would be generous, that we would forgive even as we have been forgiven and that we would wait on your perfect timing. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus, amen.